Genre. Welcome again to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future Part 3. One gun gift given minute at a time. I'm Nick Jimenez in the news. I'm Scott Corelli, and we are joined once again by John Engel from Alien Minute. Welcome back, John. Howdy, guys. <laughs> Howdy. Welcome back. And today we are going so all the way so. back to minute 62, which begins with... Uh, <laughs> with uh, Buford threatening to uh, shoot Marty down like a duck and uh, ends with uh, Marty becoming the the new coolest kid on, on campus. Yeah. Right. The, uh, so I want to, I want to talk. So like the duck, I'm going to shoot you down. Like, a, like if you, if you don't show up at 8am, yeah. I'm going to shoot you down like a duck. I, and it's supposed to be a reference because, like his his buddy, his his posse member corrects him and says it's shoot him like down like a dog. It's a reference to Biff always mixing his metaphors and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But sure. the problem is that I don't know about you guys, but shoot him down like a duck makes way more sense in this well, context than shoot him down like a dog. Not only he yeah. specifically says hunt you down and right. shoot you like a duck. Yeah. You don't hunt dogs, at least if you're no. a like normal human being, you don't hunt down and shoot dogs. You do, however, many, many millions of people have hunted down and shot ducks. Yeah, so I was. I got this note too. I was. To- I'm totally in defense of of Buford here. Like it's I think this is a much sad. better like, metaphor. Maybe this is where it starts. Like maybe he gets so insecure <laughs> that his future freaking like manifestations of self are like more and more insecure about how to say stuff. Yeah. Are you are you implying that his insecurity is so deep that it actually affects his DNA? Yeah. And, yeah. and he I'm, leaves I'm, genetic I'm, traces of this. In, in I mean, look, this the rest I'm of looking at this movie, it's sort of like a David Mitchell Cloud Atlas prism right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> where like these are all the same souls just meeting each other again and again throughout time. I uh, mean, the, the 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 rest of the science in this movie makes about as much sense. So I say that checks out. Yeah, it's the true yep. true. At least there's a lot less yellow face in this movie than there was in, <laughs> in Cloud Atlas. And by that, yeah. I mean, there hasn't been any yellow face in this movie. No. That's a, uh, yeah. A lot of talk about Chinese. Sure. Very little Chinese yellow face or otherwise. And the joke is always about how, like, sh- how, like, shitty this was. Right. It's never been, exactly. like, a dumb, like, PewDiePie, Daniel Tosh, like, devil's advocate humor. Right. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm totally on board with Buford's uh, shoot him down like a duck. Makes way more sense. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. Uh, so I love this bit where Marty is so confident. Like, he just, I figured it out. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, 8 o'clock, we're going to be, the train's going to be there, so we're going to be out of town. Everything's going to work out. Everything's coming up Millhouse, Doc. And, uh, and, and he's just like, well, what if the train's late? And Marty's like, See, this is where uh you know this is what in the last minute this is where his confidence came from right he is scared when buford throws him those glassy eyes and says you know i do my killing before breakfast but then marty goes oh well eight o'clock's when we're leaving eight o'clock on the dot right so that's where he gets his confidence why his fear goes away in that last minute Mm -hmm. but boy he just 
again, Marty's bravado, his machismo, whatever you want to call it, uh, doesn't allow for any thought, forethought at all. And, and maybe his being from 1985 possibly yeah, you makes know, him not think about trains, like the nature of trains. I've been struggling to, to put a point on it, uh, put a bird on it, but he's been very Bart Simpson-y, this movie. Hmm. He's he's more um he's more childish in this movie. He's more immature. And I think that part of that has to do with him playing two characters in in the film where like he did play other characters in Back to the Future Part 2, but they were both barely characters like they were like very one note where Seamus has more than one note and he's like he's an, an adult he's a he's a young adult but you know in 1885 he was like a regular adult mm-hmm. and I think to make up for the fact that he's playing an adult when he slips back into Marty it feels like Michael J. Fox is slipping a little more immaturity into his performance as Marty in this one oh, to than kind of he point did out the, in part two to like split the difference yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, it, it could be. Speaking of speaking of regular adults, I do want to point out that, however, kind of okay, cool, Marty looked by himself in the shots like prior to this, when he's standing next to Clara and Doc, he looks like he's in an eighth grade musical version of Tombstone. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, and he's yeah. playing Wyatt Earp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm the baddest, rudest, tootinest sheriff this town's ever seen. So we keep talking about um, references in this movie that yes. take us back to Back to the Future 1. Because there's tons of like direct plays on scenes from Back to the Future in Back to the Future 3. Mm-hmm. And uh, here we get another one. Um, this scene where everyone is coming up to to Marty on the dance floor and, you know, trying to kind of hang out with the new popular kid and tell him like, way to go. Good job telling him off. This is the, this is the scene from back to the future. It's the return of Calvin Klein. No, no, no. It's the scene when, when Uh, George and Lorraine are on the dance floor and everyone's like, way to go, George. You really showed him. I guess I was thinking about the uh, post manure moment, but I guess everybody's just kind of gawking. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking about that one more. Yeah, I was thinking that one about that one more because he also receives something at the right. end of, or no, he gives it back. He keeps it in the second one. That's right. He yeah, keeps the she's like, you can the, keep it. There's yeah. a lot of these Back to the Future movies. They're kind of hard to keep up with, but <laughs> got a little confused there. But yeah, but you're right. Yeah, it is very much like the George moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, we actually had a listener tell us because this is something that we didn't put together. Uh, when we talked about it, but the, the whole amount over a matter of $80, um, right. The $80 thing is actually another reference that we didn't, we didn't catch. Uh, but that whole conversation about like, you owe me $80 because the horse slipped a shoe and it Mm. broke my bottle of whiskey and I (laughs) shot the horse and it's all your fault. It's a reference to Biff getting a wreck in George's car and saying, oh. you owe me for this and this and this. And all that George awesome. has for him is light beer. Right. And so all George has him. for him is light beer. Yeah. As far as booze goes, he failed him there too. Right, yeah. man. Yeah. Like we, we've been doing this for like two years and then there's still stuff that we didn't catch and notice. 
Well, I mean, to be fair, that literally happened to us like in the movies like two years ago. So yeah. uh, okay. I think it's fair that we uh, that that moment sort of slipped our mind, that connection. But thanks to Haley for uh, pointing that out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I really like uh, I really like this moment of Marty just being like, oh, now I'm like kind of terrified and all these people are building him up. Just as his yeah. bravado has sort of been taken away by he's Doc. Like, he's like Max after right after the Powerline concert. And now he realizes that he has detention. <laughs> is this the, he, is, how many how many how many references to to the Goofy movie is that now for you this week? That was my first I feel one like this it's week, been more than one. Oh, I thought you brought it up. I thought you brought it up in yesterday's minute. Maybe I will, it was something else. I'll I'll be the I'll be the first to admit that I probably have brought it up this movie. But <laughs> I, I don't think I brought it up yesterday. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. it's uh it's I, I like the ebbs and flows of this scene uh for Marty as a character. I really mm-hmm. enjoy that. Well this, I'm gonna go back and compare again to Back to Future 2 and how mm-hmm. why this movie's better. And and mm-hmm. we'll get more of that as the week goes on. Instead of this just being uh, something happened. He got too full of himself. Something else happens. Oh no! Run, run, run! <laughs> mm-hmm, it sure. all actually starts to speak to his character. He actually has to consider a consequence for a minute, or a, a potential consequence for a minute. Where I felt like I never felt like we were able to stop and and get that sense of character from anyone in the second movie. Now we're actually, uh, you know, I think I I kind of hinted at it in the last minute. We're interjecting. Uh, just slipping in a little hint at the real conflict being time travel, the real enemy of the of the Back to the Future movies being the complexities of time travel. Uh, here we got one small little bit of time that's going to be a conflict. Uh-oh, what if the train's late? And what will that do to our time travel plans? And again, that that makes that antagonist, that un, you know intangible antagonist of time travel rear its head again. Only instead of having uh, Doc get out a blackboard and explain why that's going to be a problem, we understand. And then we see how the characters react to it. And then we see, you know, Clara comes in and we get a little bit more character from her and interaction between her and Marty, where we actually see a small relationship forming there. And mm-hmm. that's the stuff I just don't think he got in that second one at all. You never got yeah. these little, these are tiny little moments, but they're important. It's kind well, of and cool. I, and how- I think that the, I think that the key is that this movie, and we've talked a lot about this is that part two and part three, deal with the concept of sequels in completely opposite ways. Whereas back to the future part three is the same situation in a new setting. Part two is a completely different situation in a, in the same exact setting Um, because you're literally like going back to the first movie and I think that stuff with it. Right. And I think that Bob Gale as a writer was much more comfortable doing the second thing, like doing the thing where you're I'm just doing the same thing I did in the first movie, only now it's in the Old West and it feels comfortable and it's easy. Whereas the second one, there was a lot of stuff that they needed to figure out. And I just don't think his heart was in it as much as it is in this one. Well, and Scott, I, you and I had this conversation uh, on Facebook, actually, about sequels, about a specific sequel, John Wick 2, John Wick Chapter 2, right? Right. And you and I were talking about 
world building and rules, establishment of rules in films. Mm -hmm. And then a sequel like John Wick 2 is a very good example of building off the world. Okay, so that first movie did a lot of legwork, uh, world building, creating something completely of whole cloth, something that we've never seen before. And then the second movie comes along and and it just piggybacks on it and then builds more world and gives new stakes and creates a new story. Where part two, because, and I think I talked about this last year when we talked about part two of Back to the Future, um, they kind of have to reestablish a whole new thing again. And like, I think that's what you're saying. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of new rules thrown at us, like left and right. Right. And you kind of wish, well, couldn't we have just stuck with the rules that we already got from the first one and gotten just more story, more character? Right. And so this one, I think, benefits from having both. Uh, where there are some things about two mm-hmm. that this movie needs to build off of as well, but mostly it's just going back to part one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what it's it's like when I I think the best sequels we you know we talk about how they they do more and they um they they build upon the first one, but I love how in turn I think the great sequels ask you the audience to be able to handle more. It's like, okay, we're going to get like, like, and a perfect example that you brought up earlier was John Wick chapter two. It's like, okay, like you, you like this criminal underworld stuff. We're going to give you more of it, but in return, you have to pay attention more and be aware of Mm -hmm. different hierarchies inside of the criminal underworld. And I'm of the opinion that it, that it paid off and that it's a great sequel and like uh, a very enjoyable movie in its own right. But mm-hmm. um, I was I was pleasantly surprised at how sophisticated it was, even in comparison to the first one. Yeah. yeah. But part of the I, reason I, why I, it was I, that it was capable of being that sophisticated was that so much of the rule building and the world building, the establishing of the rules of that world already had happened. So if you've seen the first movie, you're good to go. You don't have to right. spend a bunch of time reminding us of all this stuff. And also that stuff is so visual like the both of those movies are so like the coins exchange of coins says so much i mean there's so much that can be done with that and you don't it's just one gesture and one image of a one little shiny thing and yet we understand what the power of that is what can be done with that mm-hmm. we don't have to stop and and talk about the exchange rate of those coins yeah. who cares it's ridiculous <clears throat> right. the exchange rate makes no sense but who cares what we know is that that's the way that they um yeah. deal with each other and mm-hmm. so we don't need to explain that in the second one again we the, move on the, to the, the, yeah. And then, and the rules thing, I mean, the problem with back to the future too, is that right away by, by just the concept of the narrative of that film, the problem that they're trying to solve breaks one of the major rules of the first movie yep. because it establishes the idea of alternate universes, which the first movie establishes isn't a thing it the alternate universes cannot exist in the first movie he creates an alternate universe and ceases to exist so how can he go to an alternate universe if he wouldn't exist anymore right you know and so like the yeah so like the entire concept of an alternate universe shouldn't work at all in back the back to the future lore. And, and so like the whole concept of back to the future part two is kind of broken, which is why part three works so much better because it goes back to the more simplistic rules of the first one. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, you almost you kind of made me a a little bit sad there because uh, I kind of never thought about it that way, and now are are, are the stakes of part one kind of undercut by part two? I never really thought about it. But yeah, a little bit. A now little the bit. big the big danger, the really big like the worst possible outcome for Marty in the first one is kind of eradicated by the rules of the second movie. Right? Yep. Oh no. Yep. I'm gonna stop thinking about that yeah. right now. Because I mean there are yep. there are I mean there are multiple timelines in this trilogy where Doc is dead. So it's sort of yeah. like in Rick and Morty when they they'll just shoot themselves in different timelines. It doesn't yeah, matter because they just exist somewhere. The, <laughs> right. So there's really I mean, no stakes at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A little bit, yeah. I mean like I mean who have, who knows if anyone ever moved Doc's body out of that parking lot before people came. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, man. we have a working theory that uh, in the prime timeline, what essentially happened is Marty disappeared, never returned. And uh, Doc uh, was found dead in the parking lot the next morning with the dead Libyan nationalists. Man, that's and somebody I, should write like a <laughs> fanfic noir story about the detective. That's a that's season investigating of Doc's murder. I know. Yeah. Oh, that would be a great podcast to do a fake serial like show that's investigating uh, what, what happened, happened to Doc? the scientist and where did his young friend Marty go? Where's Marty? Yeah. 1985 Unsolved Mystery. During my phone right. calls with Doc, I ask him again and again, where's Marty? <laughs> oh, I don't know, Kanik. Sometimes people just disappear. <laughs> Man, somebody should get on that. You guys got a few shows going on, right? Might as well yeah, add another one. yeah we'll add a couple more. Why not? Um yeah, it's uh, it, it is it's it's the rules do break themselves, unfortunately, and that's that's the downside of uh, of these sequels. But you know, without the second one, we wouldn't have gotten this one, and I do love having this one. Uh, yeah, um, I'm with you on that. I'm, I, I enjoy don't living these. in a world where flawed things exist. Yeah, sure, sure. And, and I mean, it's not, it's not like back to, if nothing else, like I, there are lots of moments in back to the future too, that I love. And I mean, cause look, you can say anything you want about back to the future too, but the last like five minutes, 10 minutes of back to the future too, is one of my favorite things in the trilogy. Um, just like the guy getting out of the car yeah. and bringing in the letter and, and then him like running around the corner right after being sent back in time. I'd say it's one yeah. of the more audacious endings in like blockbuster history. I would say so. I, I think it, so. It is. I was kind of flabbergasted, even though I had read the book already. Uh, back oh, to the, future uh, too. Really? the novelization. Oh, there was no way I was waiting. I did. I did. I, I think I told the story already on on the show, or I might have talked to you guys about it off mic. But yeah, I was at Walmart with my mom, and there's the book, and I was a, just an unbelievable. The Back to the Future was the only videotape I owned, so I watched it every day, and uh, <laughs> I saw that book, and I said, "There's no waiting." And I think I read it. I, I might no have read waiting. it twice. <laughs> and that was back when they did that stuff. They they put out no, novelizations yeah, yeah. before the movie I, came I, out. I remember being vaguely always um, tempted by those, like because mm -hmm. I'd be like, "Whoa!" Like the story is right there, and like as a kid, I would like flip through it, and then I would see like said Marty, and I'm like, "No, I can't. It's too bad. I can't do it. I can't do well, it." Well, I I did it. I I sat on my parents' bed and read the thing in one sitting. It was like a whole Saturday, and I just sat there and read the whole. I couldn't stop reading it. 
But it's an interesting, you know, correlation between reading the book and watching the movie is that even though I knew a lot of what was going to happen, the pacing of the movie, how it was cut, how the story was told through that medium was different enough that I was still shocked when it ended. I was really, are we really stopping here? I guess so. God, most embarrassing film novelization purchase. Go everybody. Oh, I, I completely spoiled uh, Men in Black. I read that before um, I saw the movie. Nice. I, I read the novelization. I can't tell you why I did that. I cause... read cover to cover uh, a novelization of Ang Lee's Hulk. Oh, wow. I think I read that I, too. Peter you know, David only, wrote it. The bad one. Yeah, Peter David. The only bad one I can think of, but that was actually better than the movie, was Attack of the Clones. Interesting. I definitely read that. I remember reading that novelization and remembered thinking it was kind of gritty. And yeah. there's the whole mm. t- there's the whole Tuscan Raider attack kidnapping of Shmi business mm-hmm. that gets uh, mm-hmm. what's his name's legs cut off and all that. And yeah. It was pretty hardcore. And I was like, this is I, I can't remember if I read that or if that came out before the movie. I, um, I feel I, like it did, but maybe it didn't. Um, I'm, go- I'm going through a real like audible kick right now. And mm-hmm. I I want to listen to all of the Star Wars aftermath novels yeah because mm. for I've some tried. reason I've, I've, the idea of I've listening to them things. the idea of listening to them feels better to me than reading them yeah for sure no star dr- wars books i think should be listened to because i drive a lot mm-hmm. well you get yeah. they, they always use that same guy whose name i forget to read mm-hmm. them he's good he's good at all the voices they mm-hmm. throw music in there there's transitions it's just much yeah, more like watching gonna, a movie i think yeah. i'm gonna do it but, i think i'm gonna do it you can try. I'll tell you what. I sent Catalyst back. I got about halfway through Catalyst and said, no, thanks. I'll, I'll I, have another book. I just listened oh. to 21 hours of Name of the Wind. So I'm down for anything. If I, can, <laughs> if I, can, if I could get through that, I'm good. Catalyst was just I traded Catalyst in for William Friedkin's autobiography. And I'm oh, very no. glad I did. Yeah. Right oh. now, I yeah. uh, the next uh, thing on my queue is the, uh, the Neil Gaiman Norse mythology book. And then I'll do the Star Wars oh. thing. Cool. Anyway. All right. Well, I think that's, uh, I think that about covers this minute. Well, I did want to talk about the gun for just a second. Did you guys, did you guys talk about Burton Gilliam earlier? The actor? Uh, Yeah, we did last, last, yeah. From Blazing Saddles and everything. I was going to say, we were talking about race, racism and racial humor earlier a little bit, Mm -hmm. but it might be interesting, but I did look up. uh, I thought what a generous gift giving a cult peacemaker to this stranger. So I did look up uh, the cost uh, it was a seventeen dollars and fifty cents at the time of this. Uh, in eighteen eighty, it was so eighteen eighty five. Right. Let's just assume it was about twenty bucks. Um, sure. That would that was a pretty that was a four hundred and fifty dollar gun. Yeah, in our, in our dollars, so that's a pretty generous gift. Of course, he doesn't. But he's kind of a win win. It's a win win. Yeah, yeah, it's a win win. Yeah. He either gets the gun back or he gets to claim <laughs> yeah. that it was the one that killed the infamous uh, mad dog tannin so right. uh, it's pretty solid and he's given he's, it he's and good. he's given it to the guy that you know was like um an amazing marksman true like just a few minutes ago so you know what's cool he he's doing this so comfortably that i 100% would say this is not the first time he's done this to someone yeah, he's probably handed those. He's that's probably been in the hands of many a dead gunslinger <laughs> that he had to pry. He's probably really good at prying fingers off the handle of that gun. It's probably the same one. It's the same exact <laughs> yeah, gun. It's his. Never been yeah, fired. It's his giveaway gun. He calls it. That's my giveaway gun. I give that's it my to giveaway gun. I'm, I'm Doug giveaway. 
It's been it's been it's been shot four times by four different dead men. <laughs> well, see, he wouldn't tell anybody that though, because that's a bad. Well, track he would record. tell he would tell like his buddies at the at the saloon oh, later, right. like yeah. yeah. Well, they're I talking about my cursed mouth gun. <laughs> yeah, they all um, talk about the well, that's closest they ever got the to catching Batman. <laughs> Uh, yeah, all good. right. Well, uh, John, why don't you uh, tell people at home about uh, Alien Minute? What do you got planned for the well, future? We're we're done. Obviously, uh, as some of you might know, we're done with Alien. We finished a mm-hmm. couple months ago, and are planning on when our schedules allow. We're planning on starting Aliens, and I think I'm going to say May. It's probably going to launch in May. We'll start recording in April, and. Get the ball rolling, and and I think sometime in May will be when the episodes drop. I'll have more information about that. Speaking of novelizations, I have the Aliens novelization coming in the mail (laughs) as we speak. It should be here in the next two days, which I consider to be the first step towards actually getting back on uh, on the horse. So once I start reading that, we're fully into research mode and ready to start another show. I once bought and read the novelization for 1941 for our Patreon podcast, and we never got to it. What? You never got to 1941. <laughs> we, we were gonna. We were just gonna never talk about the novelization. For, we were gonna. I was. I like brought. It was my idea, so I don't feel bad about it. But I was gonna read it and see if anything came up, and it did come up. He reuses some characters from the Back to the Future universe in the novelization because it's written by Bob Gale. Oh wow! Yeah, interesting. It's crazy. <laughs> um anyway. yeah i'm 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 very curious about how you guys are going to tackle aliens because alien minute was so tonally similar to alien as a film uh and aliens is just like it's louder more obnoxious cousin right and so i'm you should have I'm, me host a couple times. So basically <laughs> yeah. we're just have to be louder and more obnoxious that's all yeah i'm just i'm really interested to see how you're going to tackle it because it's a very different movie you know, um, it, it'll it'll probably dictate. I, I don't think we can really dictate the terms. You know, I think that yeah, once we true. get in there, and and some of these one liners and all this these characters, and they we start talking about them, it's just going to automatically be a little bit more loose, a little bit more fun. I think. While yeah. we still, it's still a tight script. It's oh, still yeah, got a lot going on to talk about as far as the universe and and the filmmaking and and the I mean, crazy James Cameron and all the stuff that he was doing behind the scenes. You have uh, equally iconic performances. I know. I mean, there's so many. I, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I love Ripley an awful lot in Aliens. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and try to say which which performance I like better. But <laughs> right. there's something about having the fully fleshed character in that situation that I'm really looking forward to talking about. As opposed yeah. to that slow build, slow reveal version of her in the first Were movie, you, which is fantastic. But Were you at Alien Minute? Uh, were you guys at Alien Minute um, freaking out over Eleven's Ripley look on uh, on Stranger Things season two? Oh, oh man! I don't think I've seen when is she? I haven't seen it's the on Ripley the cover. Look. It's on the cover of Entertainment Weekly. She has like a total like Ripley hairdo for some. Oh reason. wow! No, I have not. Oh yeah, seen yeah, that. the curly. Yeah, she yeah. has yeah. a curly Early? Ripley look. So she's got Alien because that's a. It's supposed to be set a year before Aliens, right? In eighty five, right? Yeah, so because they're Ghostbusters. Because they're total ghost, they're Ghostbusters, and yeah, right. 
I'm glad they chose Ghostbusters over Goonies as far as their costuming and that. But we'll we could talk more about that when it actually airs. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, on our on our Stranger Things podcast. <laughs> oh, I, hey, if you um, do that, I'd love to come on. Uh, there's gotta be that, like a million of those, right? We've had we yeah, had I'm so sure many, there's a billion. We were of doing those. so many re- so much recording during you know, when it came out when the mm-hmm. season one. We ended up having tons of off mic and we even recorded some conversations about Stranger Things that we just never had a place to put them. But <laughs> a lot of guests, everybody wanted to talk about it. So we would start recording and sometimes it would just start happening. And yeah. so we could have probably thrown together kind of a quick, like at least one episode about, oh, so, here's so-and-so's thoughts on Stranger mm-hmm. Things. But anyway. Yeah. I, you know what I, I, on my wish list and I don't, um, I think I've, I've accepted that you guys aren't going to keep going after aliens, mm-hmm. but I would love to hear an episode of you guys talking about those crazy alternate alien three scripts. That are yeah, just no. uh, bananas. Alien 3, there's there's some likelihood that Alien Three, we we would go on to that. I'm not sure how much Mitch would have to do with that one. He would certainly come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would would probably be well. Okay, there's two options. One, somehow we start making money off the podcast, and then it's all sure. it's all systems go. Or <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm feeling just good enough about it to keep going. And I do something completely different where I'm the, the main host and I have guest hosts and Mitch comes on. But I don't think there's any way I could get Mitch to do what 120 some episodes about that movie. <laughs> I just yeah. don't think so. Even though all the behind the scenes, there's so much to talk about with that movie. Oh, I yeah. don't like that movie, but there's so much to talk about with it. And, and you oh, write yeah. the alternate endings, the alternate <sighs> scripts, the different The wooden cuts. planet. Oh, my God. That script yeah. is insane. Yeah. Is, I, there a, uh, is there a Prometheus minute? No. No. God, no, please no. No. <laughs> oh really? No. I I like Prometheus. I think we no. talked about this before. I feel like yeah. we've already had this conversation. I oh, don't okay. like Prometheus. And Mitch and I even tried. We actually thought about doing a one off episode mm-hmm. about Prometheus. Uh-huh. And it it guess what you haven't heard it, have you? Because it didn't happen <laughs> because neither one of us wanted to talk about it. So That's funny. That's just how, you know. It, it, it <sighs> each his own. We'll mm. see if Alien Covenant comes through though. Scott, yeah, by the by the by the domain name for for Prometheus Minute. You you can go do that and go do that podcast. Okay, I would I, I would definitely I, I would definitely do a week of Prometheus Minute just to talk about it, but I don't want to be the guy who does that show. Hello, <laughs> yeah. that is by myself once again. <laughs> Going back to minute number sixty three. If you did it by yourself, it would be like the ultimate metaphor of like Charlize Theron not running sideways away from the. <laughs> The it would, rolling shit. It would, it would turn into an HP Lovecraft story because I would just be insane oh, by the end of it. <laughs> that would be amazing. All right. Well, well anyway. Yeah. We'll, we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 63. Bye. Bye.